Some things do happen in life that change our lives forever. As you know, and I don't talk about this nearly as much as I want to, I want to talk about it every single week, but I don't because I know how those kinds of people are. Sometimes things happen in your life that change your life forever, and me becoming a grandparent changed my life forever. Any grandparents in here, raise your hands. You know what I mean. I cannot wait to be part of um, raising my granddaughter because I get to play, and then we get to what? send her home. My daughter-in-law bought me this thing yesterday. Joy, well, she bought it for Joy and I, but it's really for me. It's this thing that works through Facebook, and I'm not sure how it works yet, but it's this little screen that Emery, when she gets old enough, can go over and call us whenever she wants to. And I told her on the, she's only seven months old, but I said, when your mom is mean to you, Emery, you call grandpa and I will listen. We'll take care of this. We're not going to let mom and daddy be mean to you. So I can't wait for that. Now, I know I look ridiculous here. This is my son and myself, and this is, this is one of my favorite experiences in recent memory. We went to Jordan Creek Mall, and I told my daughter-in-law, I want a Carlos carrier. For those of you too spiritual to know what a Carlos carrier is, it's a baby carrier that fits on your front, on your chest, and you carry the baby, and the baby faces out. And um, I just, I know it looks ridiculous, but I cannot tell you how proud I was to gear up in that Carlos carrier and we protected her in between the two of us and we went shopping and we looked for shark shoes and we looked for pink things and we looked for swimsuits and I did stuff I never would have thought I would do and I liked it. Now here's what I learned. I learned that people, as much as you don't like them to, it's hot up here under these tanning lamps, um, it, it people, as much as you don't want them to, they have this annoying tendency and for those of you who have babies, you know what I'm talking about. People like to touch your baby, and I do not like people touching my baby. So I told Eden, my daughter-in-law, I said, I will carry her, but I have a rule. And I said, nobody can touch my baby. And she laughed and said, good luck. You can't keep, keep people from touching your baby. I said, I can keep people from touching my baby. People are rude. You don't just walk up to somebody at Jordan Creek you don't know, some full-grown man, and just walk up and start touching them and smiling. You go to jail for that. You'd at least get banned for the mall. Babies are people. They come right up and say unspeakable things. What if I walked up to you, sir, and I said to your wife what you said to my baby? Oh, she's cute. Look how fat she is. Oh, the thunder thighs. She's so healthy. You wouldn't like that, would you? But you say these things to babies. I know it's not very nice. That's how I think. And I don't want people touching my baby. Everybody looks like they have COVID. Forget COVID, monkeypox. And they're not giving them to my baby. Emory doesn't get that. I told Joy, I said, I'm, I'm sick and tired of people touching my baby. And I'm going to chop the next person in the neck who touches my baby. You think I'm kidding? Joy said, you can't do it. And I said, watch me. She said, you'll go to jail. And I said, what judge, who's a grandparent, would try to convict me if they said, why are you here? And I said, somebody touched my baby. They deserve to get chopped in the neck. They would let me go. And Joy said something very important to me because she's wise and she keeps me out of jail and whatnot. She said, the end does not justify the means, Rick. You can't punch somebody in the neck just to keep them from touching your baby. So there are other ways we figured out to keep people from touching my baby. If you're around a baby, don't touch it unless somebody says it's okay, right? It's just not nice. And don't call them fat. That kind of stuff sticks with you later in life. You know, they're people. They're people too. Now, the end does not justify the means. We're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about a story, the story of Rahab. Rahab, 
She is known still today as Rahab the prostitute. It's an unfortunate nickname or a, a moniker of remembrance, Rahab the prostitute. We're going to be discussing Rahab today. Interestingly enough, you'll notice in Scripture, whenever she's mentioned, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. However, the Apostle Paul, for example, wasn't mentioned in Scripture or remembered as Paul the murderer or Paul the conspirer or Paul the guy who hated Christians. Uh, Matthew wasn't remembered as Matthew the thief, Matthew the person who, you know, turned their back on their own people and was treacherous, and Simon wasn't called the zealot, the person who stabbed Roman soldiers whenever he wanted to. I mean, pe people outlived their, their labels. Rahab just seemed to never quite outlive the label. She seemed to carry that with her. So for those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, and I know not all of you have, and some of you who have have slept since then, and so you may not remember, we are together in the, well, we left last week across the Jordan River, having just built a 12-stone monument to remember the great things that God has done in our lives or the people who we are camping with, our friends, their lives, to remember God's faithfulness. The Jordan River represents things in our life that are bigger than we can deal with, that require supernatural intervention. All of us have either been in something like that or getting ready to go into something like that or just coming out of something like that. If you were the amen sort of congregation, you probably would give an amen because that is life. We all feel a little bruised, a little battered, sometimes a little broken. We all get back up again with the help of those who are in our lives who love us and won't let us stay down. And we learn to walk in faithfulness a little stronger, a little better, relying on the Holy Spirit and growing in our faith. So I'm going to magically, supernaturally, instantly transport you from the Canaan side of the river back to the other side of the river and we're going to put a reverse or a rewind like the rewind button on your DVR we're going to go back say two days or a couple of days three days and pretend that the children of Israel are still camped on the wilderness side of the river and remember we talked about some important things just as a way of review they were told by the way in the three days that they waited at the banks of the Jordan contemplating being able to get it right this time their parents and grandparents, having been led years before to the same spot, saying no, they wouldn't go, having to pay with their lives, wandering around in the wilderness until they died, the children of these people and grandchildren brought back to the spot where they could, they could get it right. They were told, focus on Jesus, put your eyes on the Lord, purify your hearts because the heart is what matters. God's going to do amazing things among you, but you've got to be able to see it. Thoughts, actions, attitudes need to be pleasing to the Lord and then put your feet in the water when it comes right down to it. The only way we can step out in faith is when we're all in, 10 toes. We talked about that. But even before that, we have Joshua sending two spies into the land to look at Jericho. Jericho was a formidable, a formidable, an impressive city. At least it had been an impressive city. By this time, was in a little bit of decline, not a lot of decline, but sort of on the downward slide of uh, needed a little renewal, needed a little bit of sprucing up. But it still was a fortress of, of, of um, well, really hard to penetrate, had withstood attempts of people overtaking and attacking for years and years and years. And it was inhabited by a group of people that were called the Ammonites. Now, if you're a Bible person, you've been around uh, church for a while in your life, you may know Ammonites, you may know Canaanites, you may know Philistines, you may know these words, um, and they're all important. The Philistines are like the ninjas in a Chuck Norris movie that always hop out from behind rocks and he has to fight them. Well, the, the Ammonites were a people 
who um, God had sort of cursed back in the time of Abraham because their hearts were so far from him, they did unspeakable things. They sacrificed children to the sun god and the moon god, their fertility god. I mean, they, they did all the stuff that you could, that we've talked about together, the bad stuff that people did worshiping these false deities, uh, crimes against humanity and sensibility, they were guilty. So God had said back in the time of Abraham to the Ammonites or about the Ammonites, I'm gonna destroy you and the land you have, I'm going to give to my chosen people, the children of Israel. And Abraham's like, when? And God's like, well, you'll find out because God's timing's not our timing. And they had to wait and find out, well, this is the time when they were finding out. Now, you're going to go into this story and you're gonna be thinking about a couple things. The first thing you're gonna think about is spies. Spies, lies, and deception. How can that be? It doesn't sound very Christian. And so you're smart people and you will look at things from every perspective. You'll examine the chessboard from the top and maybe you know, look behind the scenes and you'll come to a couple conclusions, think through a couple of things that are probably gonna be important to you. But I want you to think about this because some of you will say, in wartime, spying's okay, doesn't really matter what you do because the end can justify the means. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. What I am saying is, that in this particular war, we know with absolute certainty, without any question at all, that God himself had said, we are going to war against the Ammonites. They have disrespected me and done things that are so bad, and this was an Old Testament kind of a thing, I'm gonna wipe them off the face of the earth. So you know for sure this was a God war, and there were many in the Old Testament. We've talked a lot about the context of the Old Testament and how to understand and how thankful we are that we live in the era or the times that we live in. Some of you may be tempted to say, as you begin to look at this, the Ammonites were terrible people, the two spies, well, they were great people, and so Rahab, and you're gonna see that she does some things and is some things that aren't really, well, very churchy. You're gonna say, well, that end justifies the means, because after all, she lies, you'll see this in a second, but she still saved some lives. Now, I wanna caution you as you think through this, because you will, no doubt, because it's logical and you're intelligent people, that whenever we decide, it's called situational ethics, whenever we decide there's a point when we can choose to disobey God's law, be careful, because at that point, we put ourselves in God's place, and we decide what's important and what's not. So just think through things as we work through this and remember those two concepts, because they'll help. I think guide you as you add this to part of your biblical worldview. Spies, lies, and deception sounds crazy, but I'm going to explain it to you. Remember, Jericho, part of the Amorite kingdom, violent, depraved, and pagan, and they were destined for destruction. Jericho was the gateway to the promised land. The children of Israel had to go through Jericho to be able to inhabit the land God had, in fact, promised them. Jericho was a city that had about 3,000 people, most scholars would say by this point. 1,200 were the privileged. Again, they're guessing because Jericho, I know we're going to be here in a couple of weeks, but it actually fell down the walls, and so they had to kind of construct it archaeologically. So they're guessing, but about 1,200 people, they lived in the privileged area sort of at the top of a hill, kind of a carved out flat place. And then they had poorer people that sort of lived on some retaining walls that worked their way out. And then below that, there were walls that some people will say were 13 to 15 feet high. Again, it's hard to tell. And so people lived along the retaining walls. Some homes were actually in the wall of the city. They had a series of walls and towers. It was very formidable, very hard to penetrate and very impressive. 
And so maybe 3,000 people by this point, and um, the spies were being sent by Joshua to go figure out how the children of Israel and their warriors could come in and overthrow them and begin to enter this promised land. So let's look together. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go and look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, prostitute is not a nice thing to call somebody, even if it's true. Um, There are a couple different ways to think about this. Again, I'm going to lay out some options for you, because where Scripture is not 100% clear, there leaves a little room for conjecture, as long as we're not so dogmatic that we don't allow for Scripture to be clear. I hope that's clear. Prostitute can mean a couple of things. One, it can mean prostitute, right? I mean, we know prostitute. We know what that is. I don't have to explain it to you. The second thing it can mean is innkeeper. Now, I think there's some compelling evidence that maybe Rahab wasn't the normal run-of-the-mill prostitute because, well, of a couple things. One, she had a family that she was concerned about. You'll see that in a second. Number two, she had a home. Prostitutes, even in this culture, unless they worked for the temple, unless they had a special role, they didn't really have a lot of property rights and status in society. And number three, history tells us she was one of the most beautiful women in all of ancient history and that just by the sight of her, men would lose their marbles and start to make unwise decisions. Now, many people think that she ran an inn and she also gave special favors to people in ways that maybe we would associate with the regular prostitute sort of definition. However you decide, it doesn't change the point of the story, that there are things that we can consider that help us visualize. I sort of like option number three. I kind of see her as a very familiar, in a bad kind of way, if you're trying to be moral like we are, um, bed and breakfast proprietor. Rahab. Now, They went and they entered her house. Why would they go there? People came and went all the time. Nobody would really pay that much attention. The king of Jericho would have been like the mayor. It wasn't really a king of the entire land, a mayor of the city. He had spies. He was very important, and people would have said, hey, there's some strangers here. Why would they be on the lookout for strangers? Because, and you'll see this in just a second, and I hope you're asking these questions, because there were two other Amorite kings that had just been destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth, and it had their attention. A group of perhaps a couple million people who had been proven to be dangerous in battle, who had the force of a god, the one true god we know, they just thought it was a god, who was helping them kill people. I mean, it had their attention, so they were on the lookout. They knew they were camped over across the river. They were on um, high alert. The king was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here to stay, uh, tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, she has a choice. Now, this is what I want you to remember or think about at this choice. You ready to think about something else? I can't see you really well, so I'm gonna come down here where I can see you really well. You're ready to think about something else, right? Okay, Rahab has a choice, just like you and I have choices, and oftentimes we come to a diverging trail, a fork in the road where we have to choose. I'm going to be talking about the entire fall, a series on how important our responses are when bad things happen or things happen, 
and not just live by our reactions. That reactions can be dangerous, but thoughtful, informed, spiritual responses are what people of faith give. We would all nod our heads. Let me tell you something. Rahab was not a person of faith. She was a pagan prostitute living in a land that she at least turned a blind eye to animal sacrifice, to sun and moon worship, to all kinds of unspeakable crimes against human rights. And she was making a choice much greater than lie or tell the truth. She was making a choice as to whether she was going to turn her back on her people and follow the one true God or whether she was going to stay in the life that she knew and be loyal to the people who she had come up around. This was a big deal. She was not a believer in the way you and I would understand being believers. We are. Some people get so caught up in the fact that Rahab lied. Scandalous. We don't even go to the rest of the story because she lied. Did she lie? You're going to see it. She sure did. She's making some choices here. Were they the right choices? No, I don't believe so. But God still honored her. One of the most frustrating things that we do as Christians is expect non-Christians to have the same values that we do. And we can't figure out why they act differently or think differently or have a different value system. And the reality is that unless someone has the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and is living according to that, they don't serve the same master, don't think the same way. And Rahab was making a step away from an old way of life into a new way of life. She would have been rewarded with money, accolades, prestige, if she had turned these spies in. Her life was threatened if she chose not to. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And then she says, now here's a lie. Is it a lie? Absolutely. Is it a white lie? Uh-uh. It's a lie lie. And by the way, white lies still lies. This one, not even a white lie. This one, a lie lie. Is it because it was a time of war? Is it because it was a greater or lesser of two evils? Uh, it was still a lie, okay? She does it. She's guilty, sure. Does it really make that much difference in her step away from her old life to her new life? Is what's important her choosing to follow the one true God? Are our expectations on her different than, than those we would have on ourselves and perhaps each other? Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch them. But she had taken, this is like a, telling the story. Can you imagine someone's like, hey, let me tell you what really happened. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she'd laid out. So the bad guys set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had left, the gates were shut. So Rahab, guilty of a lie. But what she did was left an old life, chosen new. What she was doing is departing or deserting, empty, selfish, violent, deceptive gods, and choosing a life she didn't even know, but she understood or believed was right. And she risked her life for it. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all of us live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard 
how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings I just told you about, remember, of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed. For the Lord your God, here's the statement that's important, the one that we miss sometimes. This is the important statement. This statement that she makes is something that Joshua was talking about when he said, if it really is inconvenient for you to serve the Lord, then choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. She says, for the Lord, your God, and what she means is our God, even though she's making that step, for your Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Let's keep going. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of who? Her family, my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now the men said, our lives for your lives, they assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing here, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. That's next week, by the way. You should definitely come back. So she let them down by a rope through the window because her house was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills. Now, the hills were on the other side of Jericho from the ford of the Jordan. So she was saying, go hide in the hills. It's, no one's going to expect you there. They're going to expect you to be trying to cross back over the river. Go hang out there for a few days. And then when the pursuers come back, um, go on your way. And she did. Now, there are a few things that are important for us to talk about. Let's talk about them. This is true. I believe, this is my belief on Scripture. Many of you believe the same thing. If you don't, I'm glad you're here. But you have to understand my perspective only because it helps you understand the teaching and the philosophy and the conviction that comes behind it. I believe that the Word of God is absolutely true and its original form is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe that every single word is all we need to live our lives, it's the blueprint for life. And the Bible says some things about lying, and this is what the Bible says. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Now, all of us would nod our heads and go, that's true. Titus says that God can't lie. Revelation says that liars are going to be judged. Who's a liar? I'm a liar. You're a liar. We're liars. Sometimes we lie because it's just convenient. Sometimes because our life is threatened, but we do. And then... Proverbs, which is, by the way, God's perspective on life, wisdom, our ability to see life from God's point of view. Proverbs says, the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves. Now listen, friends, this is important. I'd come down off the stage and look at you again, but I think you're paying attention already. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Now, what's that mean? We don't have to say everything we know just because we know it. Does God tell us everything he knows? How many of you have asked God questions and he hasn't told you the answers or he hasn't given you all of the answer or all of the information that you request or demand? I would certainly be in that camp. What does God share with us? He shares with us what's right to know at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. And he withholds what is not right to know if it's not the appropriate time, it's not the correct information for us to have, and it's not the right way to deliver it. He doesn't share everything with us just because we demand it. How does a parent parent a child? 
Some of you, and I've tried to be very sensitive, may have to have a conversation with some of your kids because I said the word prostitute, right? You get to choose how you explain that. You're probably not going to explain it to a small child in all of its detail because it's a little too much for a small child to be able to process and it's not wise but you're not gonna lie to them and tell them somebody works for Santa Claus or something. I mean, you're gonna tell them the truth, right? And the Bible tells us that the Lord detests lying lips. You know the Ten Commandments? We've got Ten Commandments. You guys know the Ten Commandments. There's a whole bunch of commandments. There's one about adultery. There's one about murder. There's one about your parents. I mean, there's one about lying, bearing false witness. It's in there. But I think it's important to know that we're not required to give an answer and that sometimes withholding the answer or withholding the information is not only a smart thing to do tactically, but perhaps it's a wise thing to do spiritually. Now, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, by faith, the prostitute, Rahab, I'm give her a break. Why would you call her the prostitute? It's not fair, is it? As I've mentioned to you before, nobody else in Scripture carried the name or the label of their worst mistake. Nobody except Rahab. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, wasn't killed with those who were disobedient. And look what James says, in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. Why? Well, she gave lodging to the spies and she sent the bad guys out in a different direction. The Bible doesn't say she was considered righteous because of her lies. The Bible says she was considered righteous because of her actions as she stepped away from a life that she, what was the only life she knew? This was a woman who probably lied as second nature. And not only that, but the custom of the people who she lived in and around was such that if you offered hospitality to somebody, you had to lay your own life down for them. Or you were dishonored in generations of teaching passed down from great-grandparent to grandparent to parent to child. Does it make it right? No. But what she's remembered for wasn't her lies. She was remembered for her obedience. Now, I think of Abraham. I'm a whole lot more aggravated at Abraham. Again, I'm assuming some of you have been with me for a while, and we, we talked through this, this story of Abraham. Abraham lied twice about his wife. Remember that? He was worried he was going to get killed because he was married to a real hottie. And Pharaoh wanted her. He's like, hey, she's my sister. And um, I'm reading this, and I'm going, this dude should know better by now. Because he's at least had some chronology with the Lord. He's at least had some experiences. He's at least seen God deliver and do things. And he's developed a little bit of a life of faith. Now, here's the truth, friends. Here's the principle. The longer we live learning to walk with Jesus, the more we're responsible for. Abraham, he should have been more responsible than certainly Rahab. Does it make it right? No. A lie's a lie. But Rahab was remembered for her faithfulness, for risking her life, for choosing God in spite of the consequences. In the same way, it was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, here's what I've decided. 
And the question is, why did Rahab have to wear the label? Not just her entire life, but even today. Because I hate labels. Here's the reason. She wears the label thousands of years later to remind you and I that we don't have to. Some Christians get a little too judgmental, a little too gung-ho, incredulous. How could God use a person like this? She's a prostitute and a liar. And I would just encourage you to say this statement out loud. How could God choose to use a person like this? But do it in the mirror. How could God choose to use a person like this? Rahab wears the label so that you and I don't have to because God provides the way of grace. We all have labels. Perhaps most of us don't have this label. Um, If you do, God's grace is sufficient. Rahab, she wore this label for life. Maybe some of you have this label. The Apostle Paul certainly had this label. Maybe there's somebody here who's committed murder. Perhaps somebody here, like Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, who says if a person has hatred and bitterness in their heart toward other people, they have a murderous spirit and perhaps could even be considered guilty of the same. And maybe you've worn this label your entire life, thinking that it invalidates you from being used by God. It doesn't. How about this one? Failure. Failure is an event, not a person. Some people label themselves with this and never let go. And some of you have people in your lives who look at you like this and won't allow you to. Consider wisely the people you're camping with because the correct camping buddies, they don't label you. Maybe some of you are like the Apostle Paul was. Maybe you've argued against Christianity. Maybe you've been angry. Maybe you've called Christians narrow-minded bigots, stupid, uninformed. Maybe you've been an opponent of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And you think that label renders you ineffective and unlovable. It doesn't. Anger isn't just an emotion. can become a way of life, an identity, a label. It doesn't have to define you. Liar. A label. Some guilty more than others. Some lying can be a second language. Convenience, second nature. The label doesn't define you. Bad parent or bad child. Ruined relationships with the people you were most responsible for and had the closest proximity to. 
If you'd go back and do it over again, you would give anything to be able to do it over again, but you can't, and you hang on to this label, and you think that it renders you unlovable, unuseful, and ineffective for God. And friends, it does not. Some people divorced. Some people many times feel like that their inability to figure out how to make something work renders them unlovable and unuseful for the kingdom forever. It does not. Cheater. Unfaithful. Perhaps to a spouse. Maybe like Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman had so many men or women in their life, they've lost count of how many relationships they've had. And it just hangs around your neck like a heavy reminder of your past. You can't let it go. You can. Because the way of grace removes your labels. And Rahab still wears the label of prostitute. Not because that's how Jesus thinks of her, but because it reminds us that that's, that's not how Jesus thinks of us as well. Jesus took all of the labels from us and laid them down at the foot of the cross. And he offers us the way of grace. Grace doesn't require people with embarrassing labels to shed them before we come to Christ. Rahab couldn't shed her embarrassing way of life before she came to God. She came to God just like she was and was received with this grace and then changed. Grace doesn't demand, grace assists. Grace is slow to judge and quick to deliver. And friends, grace provides you with labels of its own. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, our labels laid at his feet. Maybe you visualize it as Jesus wearing our labels for us so that we don't ever have to again. He died on the cross for our sins, taking on our sin, rising again three days later, defeating sin, Satan, and death, erasing the labels, giving us a new label, forgiven, accepted, loved, useful, and necessary. Who wouldn't want that? It occurs to me that there, there are people who, some here in this room and friends who I have who aren't right here and people joining us online, who haven't made the decision to trust Jesus, to leave the label behind. I don't want to tell you today how to do that because I love you. And I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. And the way of grace is the only way to have the weight lifted the labels destroyed. The peace that passes all human understanding and a supernatural joy that guides us in spite of circumstance. 
It all begins with a prayer. Now, I know some of you say praying sounds a little complicated. I don't know King James English, and I'm not even that smart. I don't know all the these and thous and thuses and therefores. Let me just remind you that praying is just a thought. Now, you can think it out loud if you want to, but prayer is just a thought. And God has installed in you from the time you were conceived in your mother's womb the ability to communicate with him, to be able to think and for God to hear you. And through the Holy Spirit's power, for God to be able to nudge you and you, in fact, hear him back. And so I want to encourage you to think toward God. Take the step, the faith that Rahab had to leave the way of life maybe that you know, the only way of life you know, the comfortable way. And it's very, very simple. You tell God, you say, God, I don't want to live like I am anymore. I've had actions, thoughts, attitudes displeasing to you. I've blown it. I've messed up. I'm sorry. I don't want it anymore. Forgive me. And then you tell them, you think, you say, I know, I believe who Jesus is. I don't know everything about Jesus, but I understand what the pastor said. I believe it seems too good to be true, but that's grace after all. I believe who Jesus is. And I want to live this way. I want to follow you. I want to be your child. And then for you, friend, everything changes. You can think that thought right now. If you do, I encourage you to grab me, to grab Ashley, Brandon, one of our pastoral staff here today. Talk to us and let us know because we want to help you get started in this new journey. Maybe there are some of you here who are believers, who are still wearing your labels. And in just a minute, I want you to come face to face with God. And I want you to hand it to him once and for all. And acknowledge the fact to see yourself the way he sees you. Maybe there's someone in your life who you've not allowed to put down their label. Maybe you're trapping them in the past. Maybe your absence of grace is a roadblock to their spiritual development and health. Perhaps today's the day to let that go as well. Let me pray for you. And let's let today be different. A new start. Different than any other day. Father, thank you for my friends.